Welcome to Getting Right, a podcast where two nerds share and discover one another's favorite books, movies, games, comics, and more, from old classics to the new hotness. It'll be familiar to one of us, new to the other, and if we're doing it right, entertaining for you. My name is Nicole. And I'm Jesse. And this week we have a couple things to talk about. Nicole read, at my request, Brian K. Vaughn's post-apocalypse gender studies comic, <laughs> Why the Last Man. <laughs> And How much of it did you end up reading, Nicole? I ended up reading three volumes, so I know you only okay. assigned me the first one, but I plowed through three, so. That's a but good I sign. I know that there is like <laughs> seven more, I think. Yeah, there's ten the, in total. Yeah. Um, and then I had just watched a couple movies by the uh, great silent film star Buster Keaton. Yes. And oh, I meant to look up like some interviews with him so I could actually find out what his voice sounds like. Oh, I but yeah, I, I, I watched some before. It's like it's he just sounds like anybody's grandpa. Like <laughs> he probably smoked too much. So, like I'll, I'll just yeah. Uh, yeah, well, he did. I think he did die of lung cancer. So that's yeah. Let's let, let's just say like he wouldn't transition well to talkies. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have, have you a... seen singing in the rain uh no actually like the whole premise of that film is that it's about i might wreck it for you sometime because it's a transition <laughs> it, it, it's set bet- it's it's set sort of during the transition between silent films and talkies mm-hmm. and there's this um there the main guy is like a, a silent film star uh or a, a movie star and then the woman he's played who's cast opposite him and she's this beautiful silent film star but her voice is the most obnoxious thing ever <laughs> so debbie reynolds is like secretly brought in to redub her lines ah. <laughs> and they try it and it's so that's like the one of the core conflicts of the movie and it's very funny uh, yeah. to wreck that for you sometime anyway anyway we'll, we'll we'll talk more about that later but first we'll get to that uh, first uh you um after so now that you're all caught up on westworld not all caught up yet i still have a couple episodes uh i haven't had a chance to watch any since yeah of the new season so yeah i'm two episodes now into the first season into sorry into the second season uh, and enjoying it a lot, but I'm not completely caught up yet. Yeah. So. Um, but you also started finally watching The Terror. <laughs> I did, which I'm enjoying quite a bit. Yes. Uh, how far did you get so far? Three episodes in. Okay. So. It's like, so it's like, uh, so it's like shit's starting to go down. <laughs> yes. It's the, oh, and I guess that was where their money for Sharon Hines ran out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I noticed, like, on a lot of shows that he's on, he's on them for a bit and then gets killed off, but... Yeah, well, he doesn't... I imagine he either wants to be paid a lot of money, which is fair, (laughs) he's a big star, or he just doesn't want to put that much time into it, which is also fair, he's a big star and he's kind of old. Yeah, it's like he goes in and he gets his paycheck and then he leaves. Like, like, I'll be your TV show, but I'm still only going to put as much time into it as I would if I were filming a movie. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, he, I enjoyed him and I love Jared Harris. Oh my god, I, Jared Harris as... Uh, what is his character's name? Francis? Francis. Can't remember the, the last name. But yeah. So so the terror is about the... the, the um, I almost said Ben Franklin. It's about the Sir John Franklin <laughs> ex- expedition to find the Northwest Passage. Uh, and it's two ships which are named the Erebus and the Terror, which just seems <laughs> the most to ominous, be asking for trouble. The most ominously named ships ever. <laughs> I know. Like... They're just like, okay. they're back in England, they were just like, this isn't a bad idea at all. Yeah, th- this this definitely isn't going to uh, end badly for us. No. So, so Sir John Franklin is the leader of the expedition, he's the captain of the Erebus, and Jared Harris is the captain of the Terror, and this being Arctic exploration in the 1800s, 
uh, shit does not go well. No, everything goes bad. <laughs> yes. Both from, uh, like, supernatural forces and then also just forces with on, on, on the ships. Yes, and it's it's interesting because I I watched the uh, the Ask a Mortician video on the Franklin expedition, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and she talked about you know some because what well, basically like the ships just sort of disappeared and uh, the crew were never seen again. But years later, they found evidence that they had like you know tried to survive for a while on the land and then like run off or tried to get back overland to civilization to the south, and of course they died. And there are lots of theories as to why that happened and the prevailing theory or the most likely one seems to be uh lead poisoning like there were it turns out there was a lot of lead in the pipes on the ships uh and also in the uh, the canned food yeah in the can in the 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 canned food that they were using to keep their uh their rations in so they probably you know were very sick and hallucinating and going crazy because of lead poisoning uh the first time that i saw a giant bear kill someone on the show i'm like (laughs) that doesn't look like lead poisoning never seen lead poisoning do that <laughs> yeah so the terror is uh it's based on a book and it's like sort of a supernatural retelling of mm-hmm. what you know why the franklin expedition all the people on it died mm-hmm. but it's sort of like the horror elements and like the supernatural stuff is like a very tiny part of it it's more about mm-hmm. the relationships among the crew and how they're all trying to get along to survive and there's like some dissenters on board like i know you liked uh mr hickey yes the uh, troublemaker the evil gay ginger yes (laughs) (laughs) who seems uh bent on causing trouble um my favorite Mm is mr good sir the doctor yes i love he is a bay his name is like like, his name is basically mr good boy yeah Like, do we know? There's, do we know the dog? I can't remember the dog's name. Oh, the, um, the ship's dog. Neptune. Neptune. Yes. I feel like the dog's name should be Mister Good Boy. Oh. Uh, and then the doctor is is Mister Good Sir. Is he such a sweetheart? He is. And then I also like uh, uh, Fitzwill, uh, Fitzjames, James Fitzjames, who's played by James uh, Fitzjames. Tobias yes. Menzies, who is also yeah, wonderful. I like him. He he. Uh, I, I I need to see if I've seen that actor in other things because he looks familiar, but he may also just look familiar because he kind of looks like Mark Strong. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm probably after we do Pride Month, I'll have you watch Rome, HBO's Rome, which has Sounds both like Tobias Menzies as Brutus and Kieran Hines as Caesar. Oh, okay. Um, so, so it's really that's great a very different context. <laughs> yeah. And um and uh, and, and uh, Tobias Menzies is also in uh, Outlander. Okay. And a bunch of other stuff. And he's also going to be the new um, prince in The Crown because Matt Smith's not going to be on it anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have not watched any of The Crown. I have no opinion <laughs> on it. But um, uh, I also really like, we don't know her character's name, her, mm. but the the uh, the men all call her Lady Silence. She's this uh, Eskimo woman who they encounter and uh, played by, I think her name is Neve Nielsen. I yep. believe she's an Icelandic actress. Mm-hmm uh she's really cool yeah so yeah and i like uh how jared harris and dr good sir are like trying to get along with her and everybody else is just like terrible and racist yep (laughs) (laughs) but oh my god jared harris on the show is yes he needs like he needs an emmy for this it's it's so good (laughs) it's it's good to see him in a starring role in something yes i've only ever seen him as supporting cast or uh, in one, in the case of the Sherlock Holmes movie, uh, the villain. Yeah, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong; it was a great Moriarty. But 
uh, it's nice to see him in a starring role. Yeah. So yeah, I'm enjoying the terror a lot. Going to watch more of that. Yeah, the last episode, um, we're, we're recording this on uh, Monday, May 21st. And so the yeah, last mm-hmm. episode airs tonight. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So we'll have to see cool. how it wraps up <laughs> it's gotten yes. very interesting yes excellent <laughs> um, anyway but but talking about men doing stupid things yes men being killed off by horrific unknowable unknowable forces uh uh-huh, <laughs> that too segue <laughs> um yeah yes. let's talk about why the last man that you had me read so this is a uh, comic series published by Vertigo from 2002 to 2008. It is written by Brian K. Vaughn, who is probably best known right now for Saga, mm-hmm. which is an ongoing kind of like space opera series published by mm-hmm. Image Comics. Yep. This was, I think, his... I'd have to I, I'd have to look at it, but this was cer- certainly one of his first big successes. Mm. Uh, this was certainly the first thing I'd ever read by him. And at one point, like, he was writing... Why the Last Man, he was writing Marvel's Runaways, which he originated. <laughs> he was the original writer for that. Um, so you should also read that if, yes. you, if you like him. Uh, and um, uh, he was writing uh, this comic called Ex Machina, which had nothing to do with the movie. Uh, it was about a superhero who had, or a former superhero whose ability is that he can control machines by talking to them, who gets elected to be mayor of New York City. So it was like... The West Wing, but with superheroes. If he can talk to machines, does that mean he can actually make the subways run? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that would be very I, helpful now. Not sure that would be. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so it was like he's he's trying to leave behind his 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 history his uh, his his history as the sort of failed superhero and just be the best you know mayor that he can. And it was all like political intrigue with a little bit of superpowers. Hmm. So it was like at one point during high school, like half the comics I was reading uh, monthly, because back then I actually had the bandwidth to try and keep up with monthly series. Uh, half the ones I was reading were written by Brian K. Bond. <laughs> so he's a very interesting writer who who is always doing something very unusual. He also did a, a short, uh, a short miniseries called uh, Pride of Baghdad, which was about hmm. a family of lions who is who escape from the Baghdad Zoo when the U.S. starts bombing Iraq and them trying to survive in, you know, the city under attack. Like, it's just like, who else would think to do a comic series about that? So it's like, like so it's like political Lion King. <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway. Anyway, um, and, yeah, and it's, and it's also drawn by uh, Pia Guerra. Yes. Who has done a bunch of stuff. So she's done like Doctor Who comics and Spider-Man mm. and just kind of everything. Yeah, she's yeah. got a, an interesting style that's very kind of simple mm. like not a lot like uh, her, or at least that's my impression of it. it's like her style is very simple and sort of almost sort of minimalist in the way she draws people mm-hmm. but uh i don't know it's just very easy to sort of get absorbed into yeah yeah it was very easy like i know like a lot of comics especially like western comics there can just be like overly detailed and too much going on in the the panels mm-hmm. but this was just like mm-hmm. Simple enough so you can tell what's going on, but it's not overly complicated that it gets too bogged down. Yeah, and you can still, the characters are all still very distinct. Oh, yeah. Even without yeah. a lot. So you, you can definitely tell who's who. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, you, which is important because some some artists, who I will not name, have a problem where every woman that they draw looks the same. And that would not fly in a comic like this. <laughs> because maybe they trace those women's faces from porn. We're not going to say who or, that may be. So. <laughs> some of them maybe, And some of them it's just like, you know how to draw one woman face and it's very pretty, uh, and that's the only one you learn to draw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that so that's the, 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 the creative team. Yeah. So 
the basic plot is that um, one day in the year 2002, every mammal who possesses a Y chromosome dies just very, very suddenly. They like basically hemorrhage and bleed from their mouths and they are and their eyes and they die. Mm-hmm. So this includes um, every human man who has a Y chromosome. It includes all, you know, male mammals. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they all just suddenly die. So the only people left alive on Earth are mammals who have, I guess, like X an, an X chromosome. Yeah, yeah. Who, who don't have the Y chromosome? Right, right, right. Or, or, women. Yeah, or don't don't have a Y chromosome. We're trying to be uh, very inclusive in our language. <laughs> yes, we 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 should preface to say like. We realize that not all men have Y chromosomes uh, and, you know, and and not all women have two X chromosomes. And there's lots of people who exist outside of that binary. Yeah, lots of different, like, chromosome combinations. (laughs) But for for verbal shorthand, when when we talk about this comic, when we say men, we mean people with Y Y chromosomes. And when we say women, we mean everybody else. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a convenience of language thing. Yeah. Um, so the only, uh, so it it kills every mammal who has a Y chromosome, except for this one guy named York Brown and Mm -hmm. his pet capuchin monkey, who's named Ampersand. And they have no idea why they survived. So a lot of the story is trying to figure out, like, what's so special about this, like, super generic white guy that he survived Mm -hmm. this apocalypse. Yeah. (laughs) So he's, like, traveling around with these different women. So, like, there's uh, this one woman called um, Agent 355 Mm -hmm. who works for the United States government. She's part of, like, a secret Mm -hmm. spy organization. Um, She's kind of tasked with keeping an eye on York by um, York's mom, who is a congresswoman, I think. I can't remember if she's a congresswoman or a senator, but yes, she's she's part of the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a, she's a representative. And then they also encounter this doctor, um, Allison Mann, who has been working on uh, cloning technology. So she's trying to figure out if they can use uh, cloning to help, you know, repopulate the Earth, essentially, without having to need, you know you know sperm and everything yeah Yeah. find a way for the human race to to continue without men around right (laughs) and all throughout this they encounter sort of like different groups of women who are finding ways to survive like sort of like either like form gangs or they form their own communities they're all sort of Mm -hmm. dealing with their own issues you know in a world where uh you know basically half of the world population is no longer around and and not only that it's it's the half of the population that controlled most of the government and composed most of the militaries and uh uh, you know had the majority of like industry jobs Mm -hmm. and manufacturing like the thing i love about this comic is that it really sits down and thinks about okay what if if all the men in the world dropped dead today what would happen tomorrow? Right. What would happen next week? And what would happen in a month and a year from now? Right. It it, it, it it really brings to light sort of like the massive gender disparity that are present in a lot of industries. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I just remember like one line in the comic of like, oh, basically like all of the airplanes fell out of the sky because like 95% yeah. of pilots are male. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah, all like... those people died. The, the highways are like clogged with trucks because most truckers are male and they just died. Yeah. The trucks are just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, there's not really a lot of like shipping or transportation going on, so nobody can get food or supplies. Yeah. Um, most of the electricity is out. <laughs> yep. uh, the Israeli military is now probably the most powerful mm-hmm. military in the world because it has the highest ratio of women. Yeah, and they have um, compulsive service. Right. So, so the mo- it has the the largest proportion of the population who are you know trained as soldiers. Uh, which becomes significant. There's a sort of a, an antagonist who is this Israeli uh, military officer who hears about Yorick and tries to track him down. We're not quite sure what her purposes are. Mm-hmm. She's very scary. Um, but uh, but yeah, like so it, it's it, it's very well thought out. And mm. I've heard I, I, when I hear people talk about I haven't actually read The Walking Dead yet or watched the TV series, but I, I have heard people say that one of the really cool things about that comic series is that it really thinks about, you know, what would the impact be of a zombie apocalypse? You know, what would that look like going down as time progresses? How would, you know, and, and how would that society function? Mm-hmm. Uh, and why The Last Man is very much in a similar vein. Like, they, he really, really put a lot of thought into mm-hmm. what this world might look like. Yeah, so that's sort of like part of the plot. And then the other one is sort of like, dissecting the trope of like being the last man on earth when you're surrounded by all these women and usually when it's Mm -hmm. depicted it's like oh i can like the man's like oh like all these women are gonna be after me and i can have like sex Uh as much as i want and with Uh yorick it's just like all all the women he encounters are just like tell him to like shut up and go stand over there while we figure things out like nobody yes (laughs) nobody is impressed by him at all Uh (laughs) just like we do not care and and you're I, the last man on earth, really? Yeah, and you? well, I, I I also like that York has the self awareness to know that he's just like a generic white guy. Yeah, like, like York is not. <laughs> he, he's let's talk a little bit about York. Yeah. He's like what twenty? He's like twenty two, twenty three years old. Yeah, he's a very young man. He's a failed who, magician. He's yes, he's a failed magician, and uh, I think he's um, like an English major. Yeah, uh, like his. He, he's he's got like you know uh, uh, his father was a, was a, a Shakespeare professor so that's why he named his his son after the uh, the skull in Hamlet yeah and um and his sister's named uh, Hero from Much Ado About Nothing yes yeah. his, sister, his sister is also an important character yeah um but yeah so he's like this this uh, amateur magician you know before the plague happens he's like spent the last week just in his apartment practicing how to get out of a straitjacket <laughs> like he's yeah he doesn't have any. Spe- really like special training or special skills there's no apparent reason why he would be the one to survive but he does and yeah. uh, he, he is so so the in the first few issues that are called he makes his way because he's in new york city mm-hmm. he makes his way to washington dc to find his mother uh who is trying to you know put together the government when she realizes her son is alive she has agent 355 uh look after him mm-hmm. and sends them to go find allison mann who is the world's current foremost expert on cloning mm-hmm. um so they can try to find a solution and then they find allison and uh, or they go they get to her lab in boston and it's, it's on fire so they're like well shit we she's like well let's try to get to my backup lab in san francisco so they're like all right now we're going to san francisco and all yorick wants to do is try to find his fiance right who's in um who's a uh, who's an anthropologist currently in australia <laughs> yeah she was in australia when this all went down so yeah. there's no way to contact her and he wanted to propose to her so it, it yes what i also like is like is like like, it, it turns around the trope of, like, the last man on Earth wanting to basically have sex with all the women because he only wants uh-huh. to have sex with one woman, which is his fiance Beth, who he can't get yes. to. Like, he, yes. like, she is the only woman he cares about. Yes. <laughs> like, 
So yeah, like it, oftentimes when I would describe, you know, this comic to people, if I described it to men, they'd be like, oh, that sounds like fun. Uh, It's like, no, the point of this story is that being the last man on earth would not be fun. And if you think it would be fun, you're a sexist idiot. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I believe at the end of volume three they, ha- they haven't made it to san francisco yet right no they're they they like just got on the train to get there okay um it's after the bit with the uh the cosmonauts yes yeah which we can get into later but yes yeah. we'll get into that <laughs> um so um do you want to talk a little bit about the other character the other main characters aside from yorick like let's talk about 355 yeah she's super awesome really <laughs> yeah she's she's part of uh this group called um what was it? Like the something of Culper? The Culper Ring. The Culper Ring, which is a spy ring that started under George Washington during the Revolutionary mm-hmm. War. Yep. So it sort of like works in a bit of like that, you know, national treasure-esque. Mm-hmm. And the Culper Ring was a real thing. Yeah, like... sort of like bullshitty American history, but they're sort of adapting it for this. And there's also something with like a secret amulet right. that may have something to do with something. <laughs> Sorry about that, listeners. Uh, it's funny. As soon as we start talking about an American spy ring, our uh, our, our Skype call just crashed. <laughs> so. um, but yes, yeah, so yeah, the Culper Ring, they were active from like 19, 1778 to 1783. So and they mm-hmm. were, yeah, they were they were George Washington spy rings. So the idea in the comic is that, oh, they didn't actually get dissolved. Uh, and they're still active and 355 is one of them and she's this cool badass uh, black woman and she's not exactly thrilled as I recall about having to uh, babysit Yorick oh no 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 she's just like she basically tells his mom like yeah like really (laughs) I don't I I want I want to like help the country get back together I don't want to like babysit this doofy kid Uh and his monkey (laughs) yes Yes. (laughs) but she does it yeah she's a good she's a good uh patriotic american and yeah (laughs) she takes her job very seriously yeah um i did really like that uh early arc where they're in washington dc with york's mom and they have the encounter with the um it's basically like obviously like all the male representatives are dead um Mm -hmm. and most male representatives are republicans so the major Mm -hmm. party in power right now is the democrats because there were more women (laughs) democrats representatives yeah so they encounter uh the wives the you know they were the 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 living wives of the deceased republican representatives who want to take Mm -hmm. their husband's places yes i I love you you texted me when you got to that line who's firing on us terrorists worse republicans And just like a lot, a lot, like a, 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 a lot of that scene was just like, oh, this hits like way too close to home right now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> with them, like with them, like you know, Republicans like wanting to regain power, even if it means like ignoring the electoral process in the Constitution. And York's just right. like, no, fuck that. Like we have, like yeah. he's very, he's like York is a very law abiding, lot of a law abiding, uh, abiding boy. <laughs> He is. He's very lawful good. He's very, very um, lawful good. He just doesn't like being told what to do himself. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they have to deal with that. And uh, as I recall, they're able to resolve it. Like, they convince these widows to, you know, go home and and, 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 and help, you know, rebuild mm-hmm. the government from, you know, fr- from the ground up at, in their, at home. 
rather than trying to take over these uh, seats that they weren't elected for. Yeah. And and um, I, I forget how much of a role Yorick actually has in, had in that. Because a lot of the times, like, you know, even though Yorick is the main character, he's not really able to do much to resolve the conflict. Like, I think he just, like, I think he just, like, offers a distraction and then they kind of figure it out. <laughs> yes. And uh, a lot of the time when they're going around, Yorick is disguised so people don't know he's a man. He's wearing, like, a gas mask and a, a hood. Yeah. Um, so people just assume he's another woman. It's, that's also, it, it, it's also not a comic about, you know, the last man on Earth saving everybody. No, he's sort of, like, bumbling around and has to be, like, carted from place to place by, by, by much more competent people. <laughs> yes like he's still he's a good he's a good person and he's yeah. uh he is still he is still the hero of the story like this this is especially if you read the whole thing it very much does follow the classic hero's journey mm-hmm. um and you know it's still his story but it's definitely not like it's not a male fantasy it's not yeah like, you know, he doesn't have to, yeah he, he doesn't moment. like you know like the world doesn't like descend into chaos because women don't know how to take care of themselves like they're yes. actually like you know most of the chaos is caused because it's like there's no like food shipments or anything but right but like you know everybody other than that is like fine or trying to get along as best they can <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like it is it is chaotic in especially immediately after the mm-hmm. the disaster happens but as as the comic goes on you see how the women of the world are carrying on and figuring out how to how how, the, how this new world is going to work and what the new society is going to look like uh, it definitely doesn't go all Mad Max overnight. <laughs> no. Um, however, there are like definitely some groups of people who tried to sort of take advantage of the chaos. Oh, yeah, because there are assholes in every gender. Did Did you want to talk about the Daughters of the Amazon? Yeah, I was wondering what you would the, think uh, of them. Like the, the turf cult? Yeah, basically. They're like the, the evil <laughs> feminist <laughs> terrorist cult. <laughs> <laughs> they're basically, their, their main goal is to... Uh, destroy every last shred of like maleness that still Mm -hmm. exists in the world so they like you know destroy all of the existing sperm banks and they're responsible for burning down dr man's lab Mm -hmm. so she can't do cloning research Mm -hmm. and basically just i think um I i can't remember if they're also discriminatory towards trans men in this I don't comic, know. The comic but... doesn't really address trans people. Um, yeah. It's very much like an early 2000s product. Yeah. Like, if it came out now, that would definitely, like, be a big part of it. Yeah. But, but, but um, yeah. doesn't, yeah, it, does, it, it doesn't really address trans people. We assume that, you know, it, it, again, because the, the, the plague doesn't discriminate based on gender identity, it's just based on your genes. So... Mm-hmm. Um, anyone with a Y chromosome, you know, so presumably a lot of trans women died mm-hmm. when this happened and there are still trans men around. And, and we, it is interesting how like, as time goes on, you see sort of a little bit of, of ways like gender roles and, and sexuality and sexual definitions are, are sort of get, get redefined in this sort of mm. post-masculine society or post-male society. Um, but yeah, but for the most part, it is, it is pretty gender essentialist. And I think that's just, you know the ignorance on the part of the author and sort of general like cultural unwillingness to consider trans people uh, and gender non-conforming people as an important as something to as something to be considered yeah so, yeah this comic came out before that became a much more mainstream yeah discussion yeah like the, it was it was for me as a little queer uh, teenager it was a big deal that this comic even dealt with like you know gay people at all uh yeah and um <laughs> but yes uh if it, yes. If it was re- if it was redone today i would hope that they would explore the role of trans people more and they might they talk about they, they keep talking about doing a tv series based on it yeah i know that I, I i we mentioned before that fx ordered a pilot mm-hmm. for it so yeah 
hopefully they'll sort of put more of that in there since it's, mm-hmm. you know, being made now. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I I kind of feel like I'm kind of dubious that it would ever get made at all, simply because there are no men in it other than <laughs> Yorick. And, like, you know, as much as we, we are seeing more television that focuses on women and has cool female characters, I, I, I am kind of doubtful that they would actually, like, go forward with a series that is, like, where the cast is 99% female. Like I can see them doing it, because it's like, well, one, it's like, it's FX, so it's like, they already have Legion, so they probably mm-hmm. want to do, like, another comic series. Sure. And then they're looking at stuff like Handmaid's Tale, mm-hmm. and, like, The Good Fight, and Killing Eve, and sort of mm-hmm. these shows that have a majority female cast that are doing really, really, really well, both mm-hmm. critically and ratings-wise. Yeah. So, I can definitely see why they would want to go for this as a series oh sure and just because you know like a lot of like a lot of sort of adult oriented comics are finding um you know more and more adaptations in movies and tv we got you know deadpool and we've got amc's Mm -hmm. preacher um comics are very much a popular medium for adaptation Mm -hmm. but uh but we'll see i'm still kind of skeptical i would love it if they actually did it and especially if it was good um <laughs> but like it's 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 int- it's it's fascinating to me how like how ge- how dis- disparate gender representation is on TV and how even in shows where like it seems to be equal it actually isn't like mm. i remember reading about how like if a show has a ratio of like where one third of the cast is female uh audiences particularly male audiences will perceive it as being 50-50. Like, if you ask them, oh, you know, what would you say is the gender ratio of characters on this show? They'd be, oh, it's like, it's equal. It's 50-50. It's like, no, actually, if you count it up, it's basically two to one. It's because it's it's it's, it's because men all see double. So they see one woman <laughs> and they see two. And it's the <laughs> same kind of thing where it's like, if a woman speaks, you know, mm-hmm. men, will, men will perceive women speaking as more than they do. You know, like women mm-hmm. who speak up. I forget the exact number, but... Uh, a woman, if, if like, again, I think if like 30% of the conversation is coming from women, men will perceive women as dominating the conversation. So mm-hmm. the idea of having a show where not just like almost all of the leads, but the background characters and the side characters and the extras and everything is women. Uh, I'd love to see that. I don't know if a studio is, would go there yet, but they've ordered a pilot. Mm-hmm. So what do I know? Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see, see how happens. it goes. Um, anyway. The, the Daughters of the Amazon... <laughs> It's interesting, like, this came out in 2002, Mm. and I feel like feminist issues weren't sort of at the forefront then as much as they were. At least that's my perception. Like, you didn't have people uh, saying, like, yes, I'm a feminist. Feminism was more of a dirty word then. Um, Yeah. And which is not to say things were worse or better for women than they've been shitty before and they're shitty now and some things have gotten better and some things are worse um but just politically feminism wasn't as uh wasn't as 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 central a thing in the early 2000s it was was sort of like the end period of what i would what we would probably refer to as like third wave feminism Mm -hmm. and now we're kind of like I, I think we're in fourth wave feminism. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's too many waves. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's that's true. I think we're in fourth wave, but no, it's it like it like definitely like dipped down in the early 2000s, and mm-hmm. it sort of came back in like the 2010s. Yeah, and 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 and, and now it's like a tsunami, which is yes, yeah. which is great. <laughs> uh, but um, it's easy to look at the portrayal of the daughters of the Amazon and be like, oh, this must be what Brian K. Vaughn thinks of feminists. Um, but 
I see it more as like in any post-apocalypse narrative, there are going to be people who think that the apocalypse was a good thing. Yeah, and 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 the daughters of the Amazon are definitely like he goes out of his way as portraying them as a cult. Yes. Like their leader controls the members through like manipulation and starvation and you know, making them commit horrific acts of violence. Mm-hmm. And and mutilate um, themselves as well. Like, in order to join yeah. the cult, you have to cut off one of your own breasts because there's this myth that, that the original Amazons did that. Uh, well, the original, the, the, you know, Amazons are mythical. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but in myth, the, 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 there's a, yeah. you know. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, it's like, it, 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 it's very much like this. This is a cult. This is not, you know, representative of what feminism is or feminists are. Um but I, I can see why people, someone might still find that a problematic depiction, especially coming from a man. So I was wondering what your thoughts mm. were. Um, no, I think I think he does a good job about differentiating, like, you know, no, this is a cult. This isn't representative of everybody. Because you do encounter other groups of women who are probably more representative of, like, feminist ideals. Mm-hmm. So, like, later on, they find, like, sort of this utopian seeming little town that's populated entirely by women and they actually have like food and electricity and seem to be getting along Mm -hmm. fine and you realize later on that it's a group of former convicts who escaped from a nearby women's penitentiary Mm -hmm. and they're all living together in this community yeah and when you know the daughters of the amazon find them because obviously like york is there and they're going after york because they want to kill him because he's the only man left mm-hmm. um they you know york wants them immediately like you know all the amazons like thrown in jail and throw away the key and da, 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 da. and they have like a much more uh holistic sense of justice mm-hmm. the women in the town since they went through that they're yeah. just like no we can't really do that because that's wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we're gonna like figure out other ways to like instill justice in this situation mm-hmm. that doesn't involve just like locking them up like we did before yeah so i thought like that was good mm-hmm. um i also kind of like that the story also shows that just because like it's all these women together like in the world there doesn't mean like automatic solidarity like there's some yep. women who are like transphobic and racist and just like really horrible to each other mm-hmm. and just because they're all women doesn't mean they automatically all get along mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is why we need intersectional feminism yes <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah so it's like it's you know it's it's definitely like when you're reading it it's it the there the, 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 there are a couple parts where it's like you know oh yeah this is definitely like early 2000s mm-hmm. but there's some parts where it's like no 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 it has you know there's 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 more subtlety to it yeah like, it's yeah. still very relevant yeah um and and i think it's just a it's a really it's an interesting exciting very engaging story uh mm. at least I mean, that's what I think. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think of just, like, the story uh, and the characters? I, well, I, I blasted through <laughs> volumes of it in, like, an afternoon, so... Yeah, and, and so presumably you I find it I think I'm going to keep reading it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it, it definitely goes some interesting places uh, in, mm-hmm. in later books, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yay! Thank you for recommending, recommending it to I'm me. I'm so glad you like it. Let's talk about a different sort of uh, escape artist. 
<laughs> the York Brown. Uh, we're we're bastarding segues. Yes, well, there's, there's always there's always a segue, and maybe maybe not be a good one, but we'll find one. So Nicole had me watch some of Buster Keaton's work. Um, so specifically, you had me watch Sherlock Jr., which I think was from like what, 1923, 1924, uh, 1924, 1924, The General from 1926, and then The Railroader from 1966. Is that uh, 65. 65. Okay. Uh, um, so I like, <laughs> I, I knew vaguely who Buster Keaton was. I think for a long time I had him confused in my mind with Humphrey Bogart because <laughs> they both just sound that? like such ridiculous <laughs> old timey names. Like, how do you mix up Buster Keaton and Humphrey Bogart? By not seeing any of their films. I just knew that Buster Keaton was an old-timey movie star, and Buster and, Ke- Buster and Humphrey are both... you like, I did see Casablanca, uh, but I, I couldn't remember the guy's name. And, like, Humphrey and Buster are bu- both such ridiculous, like, old-timey movie star names. I just sort of Is it because them. they both have sad eyes and wear hats? No. Like... I just... <laughs> They all look the same to me. All right, I didn't really trouble myself to learn more. Um, but but like I said, I, I, I know better now. So yeah, uh, Buster Keaton was a uh, the, probably the one of the best known actors of the silent film era, uh, which, as we talked about last year, or last mm. last year, last week, when we talked about it happened tonight, <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of old films, um, mm. in, especially not silent film. Uh so I, 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 like, I had realized, for instance, that, that there were silent films that were basically, like, feature length. Like, I think uh, The General is about an hour and a half. Because uh, yeah. I just thought of it all as, like, oh, these short videos and people would go see, like, you know, lots of them all at once in theaters. Um, and I didn't really think about, like, whether there were longer things. Um, which is stupid, because I've seen The Jazz Singer, and that's a full-length movie, and that's that was the first talkie, but it's still a silent film. It's basically a silent film in a lot of ways, and just, you know, sometimes people sing in it. So yeah, so Buster Keaton was a silent film actor and director who uh, started off in vaudeville, like, literally from, from, uh, from birth, because his parents were both yes. vaudeville <laughs> performers, and they started incorporating him into the act from the age of three. Uh, and a lot of his involvement in the act involved his father like picking him up and throwing him around like throwing him across the stage or into the audience or into the orchestra pit apparently like they had this like suitcase handle sewn into his clothes to make it easy for him to just like pick him up and fling him uh so uh and apparently like labor laws didn't exist back then yeah he he loved and apparently he loved it like he 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 seems to you know and he recalls it very fondly and he learned you know uh a lot about how to take a fall and uh not get hurt because he would always, like, pop back up and he'd be like, fine! And there, every time the, like, people who were concerned about child we- welfare would come and visit, like, he'd be perfectly fine and happy and healthy, even though he'd just been thrown around. Yeah. Um, apparently, also, he, like, because they realized that people didn't laugh as much if he was, like, smiling when this happened, he'd learned to develop this very stoic stone face. Which mm-hmm. is another, which became a trademark of his. Like, he has this very, it's, it's, I won't say it's inexpressive, because he can express a lot, but it's very, like... He's very dour. He's very dour, very stoic. It looks like a, a sculpted face. Um, yeah. Very, again, really interesting face. I, you, you, it's like, he's got these, <laughs> these, high, these high cheekbones and this long face and this kind of sharp beak of a nose and these very, like, soulful kind of droopy eyes. Um like honestly, especially in the general where he's got kind of this longer curly hair, he reminded me of like Betty Boop, <laughs> like Betty Boop crossed with Benedict Cumberpatch. 
<laughs> yes. He's also And he also has like the the like the black and white makeup on, so mm-hmm. it's like he has a very pale face and like black lips. Yes, and, and then like black <laughs> yeah. eyeliner. Um yeah. because that, you know, was the, the black and white makeup. Uh and um He's also much smaller than I realized. He's like 5'5". Five five. He's very, he's very tiny. He is. He's a little guy. <laughs> he's very tiny. Uh, which which is, I thought was great. I, again, I, I sort of assume like, you know, leading men in, in the early days of Hollywood would all be like, you know, strapping Clark Gable type guys. But he's very much not, not a Clark Gable type, but he's very, very, no. so he's, he's just great physical comedian. And he, you know, he directed himself a lot of the time and came up with all these gags and stunts and then did them himself often at great risk. Uh, mm-hmm. Like one of the stunts he does in Sherlock Jr. Uh, I read he, he he actually broke his neck doing that stunt. Yeah. And didn't actually realize didn't for years. realize it until like much later. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause obviously it wasn't like a fatal break, but like, yeah, he, he, he broke something in there, but, uh, but he, it was his, it was his life's work and he loved it apparently. So Mm-hmm. so uh and like um it's 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 so interesting to watch because a lot of times when i was watching these movies it would be like it feel like i'm watching a, a live action looney tunes cartoon because <laughs> there's just so many gags and there, there's so many so much visual humor because all the humor is visual basically mm. because there's no dialogue and there's no sound effects even the closest you'll get to a sound effect in these movies is like um, because there's there's music that is scored to the movie, like someone will fire a gun and they'll represent that with like a sharp beat on a drum or something like mm. that, um, which made it hard to take notes. I just, I discovered because <laughs> um, I've gotten I've gotten so used to being able to look away from the screen and still have the audio inform me as to what's going on, uh, but you can't do that in silent films. Uh, you miss no. a lot, <laughs> and even when you're watching everything, you still miss a lot because. Um, you know, there's just so there's just such a density of of gags and jokes mm-hmm. and visual humor. Um, yeah, and it's like they're incredibly they're almost like Rube Goldberg machines. Like the, especially like in the general, oh the way yeah, the gags are set up. It's like everything has to be perfectly precise in order for it to be pulled off. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're just watching it. Like, how did they do this? Like, yes. they did not have special effects. Like, this was actually happening. Yeah. And I know, like, Buster Keaton was very much like a proponent of like, no, this like really has to happen in order for it to be true. Like, you can't fake it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, he really has to be like riding on the front of a train mm-hmm. and like trying to pick up like timbers that fell on the track. Yes, that are as big <laughs> like, as he is. I know, and like you know, running on top of the train while it's moving. Yeah, that was the other thing that impressed me is yeah. just how incredibly strong he had to have been. Uh, oh yes, he's very very strong. So like just amazing core strength. Like there's this this shot from the general where he's like 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 Nicole described. He's sort of sitting uh, on the cow catcher of this locomotive, and there's uh, this big four by four lying across the tracks and. He like jumps off the train and goes and picks. He he manages to pick that up and then like get back on the train, or the train comes and sort of scoops him up. Uh, so then there's <laughs> another one, and he has to like lift that first four by four over his head and sort of spike it into the other one so that they'll both bounce off off of the track. Uh, so it's just like one the core strength that he's showing by lifting this like <laughs> big piece of lumber that's bigger than him or longer than him at least. Uh, and yeah. the precision to do it, to do, to make that shot and to have it go off the way it needed to go off, um, 
when, you know, and it's not like you could do, it's, it, there, there's not a lot of room for failure on that. Like if, if he didn't do no. the shot, the train would hit the, the lumber and probably, and, and possibly derail. Uh, like, it's not like you could just do takes after take until you get it right. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I was listening. There's a so there's a, a there's a YouTube channel that I really like that's about sort of like film criticism called Every Frame a Painting, mm-hmm. and they have a video specifically about how Buster Keaton set up gags, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know how he filmed them and how he performed them. Um, and he said that they have like some clips of interviews of him describing that, like when he's much much older, and he's like, if we couldn't get it in one take, we wouldn't do it at all. Mm-hmm. Like so, if they couldn't get the gag in one take, they wouldn't even include it in the movie. Wow. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, and you're just, like, thinking about, like, all the stuff that they did include, like, in Sherlock Jr., there's a scene where he's, like, on top of the building and trying to get down to the car before it drives off. Yes. And he goes on, like, the, like, the, like, the train barrier. Yeah, thing the crossing guard that goes up. They, yeah, the crossing guard, he, like, holds on to that mm-hmm. and, like, times it to go down. Mm-hmm. And like perfectly land in the backseat of the car as it's driving yeah. off. Crazy and the stuff. and the and the, and and the camera is set up where it's like it's a wide shot so you can see the entire building that he's standing on and the car and the crossing guard. Mm-hmm. And it just stays there. It doesn't move so you can see him mm-hmm. the enti- like all like the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually did that. Yeah. <laughs> and like there's 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 so many moments that like they really do. Like, I, I feel like, you know, I, I would say they're straight out of a cartoon, except this was before cartoons. So it's more like yeah. cartoons came straight out of Buster Keaton films. Like, um, like there's this bit in, so uh, for a big chunk of Sherlock Jr., he's actually dreaming that he's in a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So the laws of like physics and logic apply less so than they would in, than they do in, in, the, in the normal movie. <laughs> Um, so like at one point he's driving a car with the, with the girl and they're speeding up towards this, uh, riverbank and they, he stops and the, 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 the undercarriage of the car, the wheels in the frame stop, but the top of the car just goes shooting out across the water. And now it's, it's like he's driving a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I did want to talk about that, uh that scene in Sherlock Jr. where he goes into the theater because yes. that's what first got me into Buster Keaton. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so I saw, a couple years ago, I watched a documentary called The Story of Film and Odyssey. It mm-hmm. came out in 2011, and it's a 15-hour-long uh, documentary about the history of film. Because uh, <laughs> I'm a film nerd, and I wanted to watch it. And they, in one of the episodes on like early silent movies, they talk about that scene in Sherlock Jr. and how, like, revolutionary it was and mm-hmm. how it also sort of indicates that, like, you know, it's it's not just impressive, you know, for a movie of the time, but it sort of also indicated the role that movies were taking in people's lives and how they sort of informed how they viewed reality. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like a very, like, very early meta take on film. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. From, from 1924. It was, like, happening even at that time. Uh-huh. Um, so I just like I just like saw that scene and I was like, wow! I have to like watch this entire movie and found it mm-hmm. and then like completely fell in love with Buster Keaton and watched all of his stuff. <laughs> so fun to watch! Like I know he, he's another one of those actors who's just great with micro expressions. Like he can convey so much yes. by just like blinking his eyes or raising an eyebrow or tilting his head to one side. Like yeah. Um, <laughs> 
uh, but yeah, so like the scene you're describing in Sherlock Jr. So the, the story, Sherlock Jr., uh, he plays a film projectionist who also wants to be a detective. And uh, at one point he falls asleep while he's in the projection room and dreams that he goes and actually walks into the film. Uh, so there's two parts of that, sh- uh, which are, you know, sort of like the, 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 the big effects shot. The first one is shows him like sleeping, leaning against the camera. And then while he's sleeping, he also like gets up and like you see him walk out of the room so it's like there's yeah this... it's, it's 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 like a it's kind of like a see-through yeah it's like it's like a double exposure like they 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 filmed him sleeping and then they also filmed him getting up and, and like getting his hat and walking out and then they just overlaid yeah. one on the other at like 50 percent opacity uh yeah but it, it's still um, i like i like know, very cool. i like that he has like a transparent dream hat as well yes yes his hat <laughs> he takes off the yes the hat, is, the hat is part of him uh yeah. and the next part is is like looking is is sort of like the view from the audience looking at the movie um and you know that what's playing out on screen and then so like there's the audience and then there's the orchestra pit and then there's the the screen um and uh he just gets up and like climbs directly into the screen and then you realize that the screen isn't the screen it's actually a recessed sort of box where their actors and sets are placed in there Mm -hmm. to make it look like it's a screen uh and that's how accomplished like he like climbs right up in there and then he like falls back out and gets back in. And there's all these, there's this repeated, uh, uh, there's several, like it's all, it all looks like one continuous shot, which is also very cool. Mm -hmm. Like he'll be in a scene of like, you know, walking down the street. So he'll, he'll be walking down the sidewalk and then all of a sudden the, the scene will change to a gardener, but a gardener, whatever, but he'll be in the same position he was before the scene changed. So, now instead of walking down the street, he's walking through a garden and he trips over a vase or something. And then like, yeah, there's another one where he's like finds himself on a rock as the tide is coming in, and he starts to like get in position to dive off the rock. And then just as he dives, it changes from the ocean to a snow like uh, winter scene, and he dives headfirst into the snow like that one fox. Uh- <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's like it's like timed and blocked perfectly where it is completely seamless yes like like you know you 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 definitely know like logically like okay all of these were like filmed separately mm-hmm. and then edited together mm-hmm. but it's like his pose his position from like one to the next mm-hmm. is just like completely seamless yeah. and it's and he directed this yeah it's like you're a, you're you're a genius and i love mm-hmm. you yes <laughs> um i i wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about the general because that was yes. a the longest video and also like it, many considered to be his masterpiece uh mm-hmm. like orson wells who developed who directed what many considered to be the best film ever made thought that the general was the best film ever made so <laughs> um so it's 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 interesting it's set during the civil war uh mm-hmm. which at the time that the movie came out wasn't that long ago it was like less no than, it was like 60 years it was ago like 60 years ago it would be like <laughs> setting something in the 1950s now like you, you, you had to know yeah. that there were going to be people in your audience who remembered this. Um, yeah. And I also found myself thinking a lot about like how old my grandparents would have been and whether, you know, whether they would have gone to see this movie. Like uh, my grandparents were all born between 1907 and 1918, I think. So the youngest would have been like eight years old when the general came out and the oldest would have been uh, 19. Um, so I just imagined like, you know, them as kids or, young adults going to see these movies and what what they would have thought about it um 
uh, it's just, uh, so it's especially relevant to me in like, um, uh, the context of my paternal grandfather, especially because, so the Buster Keaton's character in the general is a, uh, he's a train engineer, um, mm-hmm. which in this context doesn't, if we think of engineer now as like, oh, you hang out, you, you, you spend your time like designing machines and doing lots of math and programming, <laughs> but no, it's like engineer as in one who runs an engine, <laughs> like yes, <laughs> engineer as in you are running this train engine. Um, yes. And, uh, so he's, he's he, the, the, the sort of the the title card informs us that he has two loves his engine and this girl that he's in love with i think her yes. name is annabelle yes <laughs> also when um and, and 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 also this takes place in the south room the it does which i thought was an interesting choice um yeah. <laughs> but uh but i just wanted to talk about real quick in the the credits they have a you know mm-hmm. one slide where they list the cast and i don't know how they decided what order to put people in um because like first build is Annabelle, uh, is played by um, I think it was like Marion Mack or something. That was her mm-hmm. name. And last build is Buster Keaton. But I also wanted to mention that the so if the 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 list of cast me- or or parts as you're reading it, so it's like Annabelle Lee played by so and so, General Parker played by so and so, General a Captain whatever played by so and so, a Southern General played by so and so, and then it says her father. And her brother. <laughs> so I'm like, at this moment, where I'm like, wait a minute, there were female generals during the Civil War? <laughs> I don't know about this. And I'm like, no, wait, never mind. It's just an unclear pronoun antecedent. This is why editors need jobs. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. A- Annabelle is literally the only woman in the movie. Yes, exactly. Like, that's why they don't need to specify who it's her. Because yeah. Who else would it be? You have exactly one woman in this movie. Um, yes. But so. So Johnny is a is a train engineer, and uh, he's um, with Annabelle. He's visiting her, and there's you know it's very cute, like nineteen twenties courtship where like yeah. <laughs> they're he's, they're just like sitting together. It's like it's like that scene in uh, Black Girl in a Big Dress where it's like they're sitting together on the couch, yes. and, <laughs> like not really looking at each other and not really touching. But it's like you could tell that this is for the time. This is like the height of eroticism, like yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but while they're, while he's with her, uh, war, the, the war officially breaks out. This is like 1861. Um, the war breaks out and the girl's father and brother immediately go off to enlist in the army. And he's, Johnny's just kind of sitting there looking confused. And she's like, well, aren't aren't you going to enlist too? Uh, she's like, oh, okay, I guess I better go do that. So he runs off to enlist, but they don't want to take him because they the, the, they decide he's more useful to the South as an engineer, um, mm-hmm. which they don't tell him. <laughs> They're just like, no, we don't, we no, don't want you. So he thinks he just gets rejected because he's very tiny. Yes. Like, which... there's, the, 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 there's a great scene where he's watching all of the other men who got their enlistment papers uh-huh. and they're like very tall and strong. And, yeah. Well, the, there is, there is like one guy who's like small and skinny like him and he's just like, why did you get yeah. enlisted and I did it? Yeah, like, like one guy walks by and he's like, you know, this this big six foot tall guy and you can see Johnny's kind of like, aw. But then another guy comes yeah. by who's even smaller than him and he's like, wait a minute. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he tries to like, he tries a few different things to trick his way onto the, um, getting to, into getting enlisted, but you know, they don't, they don't buy it. They, they see through it. They kick him out. Um yeah um and also annabelle says that he she doesn't want to speak to him if he's not in uniform right because he thinks she 
she thinks that he like you know you know wussed out of enlisting or at least that's 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 what her brother and her father tell her because they don't want him dating her well they because they see him leaving the uh the enlistment office and they're in line to enlist and they see him leaving or they see him walking by and they're like hey johnny you want to come enlist with us and they like you're like come join us and he's just like ah no and he just walks away without (laughs) saying anything so they assume he doesn't even want to enlist uh, so I didn't even get the impression. Well, I also, I, 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 I also thought that like, bef- even before that, they didn't really like him that much. Cause that's sort of like a thing in Buster Keaton movies where it's like the dad and the brother of the girl that he's trying to woo just like, don't like him for some reason. I definitely got that impression in Sherlock Jr. Cause that's also yeah. in, in Sherlock Jr. The main character has a girl that he likes and, uh, her dad doesn't like him. And he, all, she, in this case, she has a suitor that also like you know, he, that is like competing, but I got the, watching the general, like they don't even really interact with him, uh, mm. until after they, you know, he, he, he fails to enlist and his, her dad is like, he's a disgrace to the South. Um, <laughs> uh, and she's, you know, just, she's, she's just brokenhearted and she doesn't believe him when he says they didn't take me. And she's like, yeah, you need to, you, I'm not going to talk to you again until you're in uniform. You and need to this- enlist because white women were also complicit in southern racism during oh, yeah. the civil war yeah and I, I, like this is, this is set in the south during the civil war but there is never any mention of like what the fighting was about you never i think you, there's no. one shot where you see a couple black people black men like care helping to unload a train um but other than that it's just white people from from wall to wall um yeah uh, there's just like there's just like the bad guys are the northerners but it's like that's kind of it. Yeah, like. and the more northerners aren't even betrayed as being that bad because there's, you know, this sort of romantic, like, you see it's very much sort of like, oh, the tragedy of the Civil War, brother fighting brother, and, and really, you know, we should have just been able to get along uh, all along. Because, like, the northerners aren't portrayed as being particularly bad. They're just, uh, you know, fight. they're fighting too. Um, mm. So it, it definitely felt like a romanticized uh, version of the Civil War, or, but it, at least it wasn't. It wasn't Gone with the Wind. Um, no. <laughs> uh, so it it, it it doesn't try to gloss over the Civil War. No, it just kind of ignores certain yeah, aspects. Yeah, and it's it. it, it's it's in uh in favor of uh Mad Max style. Yes, I do want to say just like one well, the what the last bit of this sort of Act One after you know Annabelle uh, breaks up with him is he's he's sitting on the um I think they're called the the uh, connecting rods of yeah. the of the train locomotive that are on the outside of the wheels and uh the train starts to move and he starts getting lifted and and moved around uh in like this sort of like ferris wheel and he doesn't even notice he's just sitting there so sad <laughs> he gets yes <laughs> moved around and around and it's only when the train starts to go into a tunnel that he realizes that he's on a train um but yeah. the reason that made me think of my grandfather is that um he was uh, through in world during World War Two. He worked for uh, the he, he worked for the rail railway as well. He worked for Sperry uh, Rail Company. He was a um, uh, I believe my dad will correct me on this if I'm wrong, but he was in charge of a um, a test crew. So basically, they would take a test. He was sort of the captain or the engineer of a a test car that had like a crew of five, and they would travel across the rails all across the country to make sure that they were in working order and in good condition. And uh, because of this work, he was, um, I think, I believe he was exempt from the draft. Like they wouldn't, Mm. they wouldn't take people who were employed in this kind of work because they felt it's more important that you do what you do and make sure that our rail lines are, are, are working. You're going to be more used there than you would be as a soldier. So uh, (laughs) just, 
you know, <laughs> I I, uh, I don't know if my granddad tried to enlist and they wouldn't take him, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it definitely made me think of him. Yeah. Um. So so it the the plot really starts to take off where you know it's you know a, a little bit further along mm-hmm. into the it's war. Like a year later, and, you know he's. Yeah, he's, he's 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 still working as an engineer, mm-hmm. and Annabelle's still kind of like uh, towards him. Yeah, but she's um, heading off to the front lines now to go see her father because he's been wounded, um, and we see yeah. like her brother has also been wounded. He's got his arm in a sling, and he's got a medal. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, she's 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 he gets on the train to go to to, fr- to go to the front lines to try to see what what what's happened to her father. Um, yeah, and their uh, their train gets hijacked by a group of uh, like northern spies. Yeah, so who are going to steal the train to basically mess up the rail network so that the south can't get supply lines. Right. They they take the train north, yeah. and just as they go, they sort of dismantle and 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 sabotage the tra- the rail lines behind them to cut off supplies. So uh, she Annabelle is on the train. When it gets um, hijacked, they the the thieves waited until everyone had gotten off for lunch or dinner or whatever. But she went back to the train to get something out of her baggage, and so she's on the train when it takes off. But um, Johnny does not know this. All Johnny knows is that no. they have stolen his train, and he is just yeah. <laughs> just a, trying just to get his train back. He's willing to move heaven and earth. Like the first time <laughs> I watched that the movie, I thought that oh he 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 realized that, you know, they, they stole his train and they kidnapped his girl. Uh, no, he just thinks they stole his train. He has no idea his girl is there. He's on the train yet. Which just makes the lengths that he goes to to try and catch up with them and get his train back all the more amazing. Like, Yeah, so, um, so he kind of, like, gets to another train station that's, like, a little bit further along the trails and manages to get a train from them well he 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 initially tries to get a group of soldiers to help him out right so but they so, don't but but they don't connect the trails the, the, the trains right so he goes off with the engine and leaves all the soldiers behind yeah the yeah so he like first he runs on foot and then he finds a handcart uh and yeah. is able to to follow them on handcart for a little while but then the handcart derails and goes into the river so then he steals a guy's bicycle which is this great shot because he's just it's one of those like six foot tall bikes with their huge uh front wheel and he just leaps onto the back of it and takes off without any kind of <laughs> break it's just like uh he doesn't climb onto it it's just like jump land go uh, but he only makes it like a hundred feet before he falls over. So I guess just because yeah. you can, you can you're good at stealing a bike doesn't mean you're good at riding it. Um, no. So and then he finds like a, a, a an encampment, um, a, a, a Confederate encampment, and he's like, "They've stolen my general," because that's the name of the train is the general. Uh, yeah. Which is what the title of the movie refers to. Um, and so the soldiers are like, "Oh, we'll help you get it back," and they all climb onto the the back of this train, and he gets into the engine, and yeah, they pulls away and and leaves the soldiers right there because all he has is the engine yeah. and the, the the lumber car yeah so there's like various sort of like exploits and stunts that occur while he's chasing after the uh his 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 train that the northerners stole like the northerners uh cut off the uh the wires so like they can't reach other state you know stations further up ahead using morse code and stuff yeah and they just like you know like you said try to rip up the rails any way they can and he's trying to like you know, figure out how to get along on, on his own, tra- on his own train. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think, I, th- I think at one point he like finds like a cannon and yes. like, tries to shoot the cannon at the train. Yes. <laughs> like... uh, and, and fucks that up in spectacular fashion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it still manages to work out. Like that's, that's a recurring theme in, in, uh, in his gags is like, he, he, he's not, 
uh, one of those heroes who, who, who gets things right all the time. He's very much like succeeding despite his best efforts. <laughs> yes. Um, um, but uh, they eventually like stop for the night and like all the northerners like, you know, have like their little hideout where they take Annabelle. Right. So, um, so, so what, what happens is, is uh, he, the, while, while they, while he's chasing this, uh, this stolen train, the uh, Southern army retreats. So there's like this great epic shot that must've been super expensive to put together. Of, like <laughs> you of, of men and horses and carriages just, and cannons, just all uh, running full speed to this back to the South while in the foreground, you just see Buster Keaton chopping wood for the boiler and not even paying attention. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so he realizes that, Oh crap. I'm now behind enemy lines uh, and he gets off the train and hides and, and immediately it starts raining because of course it does. So he breaks into this yeah. house to try to get some food and ends up having to hide under the table when the, the owners come back and he realizes that he's actually in the like command center of the union army. So he gets to overhear their plans. Uh, and then when he's there, they also uh, bring in Annabelle who they, for some reason, they decided to keep. Like, they didn't just... Because the train kept stopping. They kept stopping the train to set fires and dismantle rails. If they, you know... And the only reason they took her in the first place was because, you know, they didn't want her to, you know, give give them away. But it's like, couldn't you just, like, toss her off the train? And be like, okay, sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, they, like, they, like, they, like, tied her up, like, you know, damsel on a railroad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Style with, like, her feet tied up and her arms tied uh-huh. up. And... Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay. Um, but, uh, but, but so <laughs> he, Johnny realizes that she's here too. And it's like, oh crap, they kidnapped her when they stole my train. Uh, so then he, like, steals, uh, once everyone goes to bed, he steals a union. He knocks out a soldier and steals his uniform and goes and breaks Annabelle out and they leave. And, you know, there's another series of... Uh, like they steal back his train, the general, and now they're running to this back to the south and getting chased by the Union people on their trains. Mm-hmm. And there's more stunts and uh, yeah. lots of Annabelle being mostly useless because <laughs> because she's a woman. because women on trains. What a ridiculous notion! Women be cleaning on trains when she doesn't have anything to do. She decides to sweep the train. Yes, because <laughs> like this is the only thing that I'm good for. Yes. She did make a that she's only good for cleaning and supporting white supremacy. She did su- like, she did set up a tripwire, which was which was which yeah, was useful. That was, that was, uh, yeah. There's also this like the way the way they they go about stealing the train is uh, is is he hides her in a big potato sack and just like carries her over his shoulder into the camp because he's still wearing a union uniform. And then while no one's looking, she like reaches out and pulls like the the spike that's connecting the locomotive from the rear cars out. But it's, it's like, yeah, for the most part, she's pretty much useless. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, like, um, so there's more stuff that happens. We don't have to get into all of it. But, like, the train scene, yeah. the train scenes um, are the real, like, great. Yeah, yeah. Epic One thing I noticed chases. is that he, all of the stunts of the train going back to the south copy 
the beginning of the train going to the north. So yeah, it's like, it's sort they of mirror rip up it. the wires, and it's like, like it's 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 sort of all the same stunts but in reverse. Yeah, it's kind of like Fury Road, where it's like the first half of the yeah. movie is them getting away from the Citadel, and then the final act is them coming back to the Citadel. Yes, uh, yes, I kept thinking about Fury Road. During yeah, this. like it is very much like sort of like nineteen twenties Fury Road, uh, yeah. Fury Rails, <laughs> Fury Rails. That's the episode title. Uh, like, um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot just, you know, cause the, the visual humor and the gags and the stunts are just so, so great and so well put together and so impressive, especially for the time that they were done in. So mm. the movies are all on, uh, uh, YouTube. They're all public domain. Um, so they're yeah. easy to find. Uh, also the rail rotter is the third thing you had me watch, which is the short film. Yeah. That... Cause it, it kind of connects to the general, but it's like one of the last things that Buster Keaton did mm-hmm. before he passed away in 1966. Yes. So he, he, and it's like, he's very much like much, you know, very much older in this movie, mm-hmm. but he's like, he's still got, he's still got it. Oh like... yes. He's still got it. And his, 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 his face is even better because as he's aged, as he ages, you know, it gets droopier and more dour. Um, and these, these, you know, these eyes get so sad. Uh, but yeah, so he's, he's sort of like, it's, uh, as Nicole said last week, it's a, it's a film to promote Canadian tourism. Um, so like it's, it's, uh, and it's him on a, a, now a a motorized handcart. So he doesn't have to, you know, pump it himself. He can just sit on it and it goes along and he's basically traveling from the Atlantic coast to the Pacific coast of Canada. Uh, and there's all, and he has this like box, uh, that's on the card. That's, box of holding. Yeah, this, like, it's, it's clearly bigger on the holding. inside because it's it's like Mary Poppins bag. <laughs> it has everything he needs. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just you know these 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 gag after gag of him just you know trying to uh, trying to get across the country and and have a have a nice vacation even though he's you know not yeah. in the most luxurious mode of transportation. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, like, pulling stuff out. Like, he pulls out a tea set and, uh-huh. like, a fur coat when it gets cold. And he's, like, knitting at one point. He's like, knitting he's wrong. There and... he, he's doing the... I, I know, I noticed that. I noticed that. I was like, he's not doing I get so right. mad. It's, it's, he does it the way that, like, you always see people do in movies when it, it pisses me off so much where they have the, like... They're holding the, the the needles from the bottom so the needles are on top of the hands. And I'm like, that's not how you do it. You hold the needles from the top. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> it bothers me so much now. Now that I'm angry knit. knitters, <laughs> we demand knitting accuracy in our entertainment media. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's great, and he reaches the end, and it's like admiring the Pacific Ocean, and then so so basically like the the East Asian version of him like walks out of the ocean. Yeah, because so the, the, the movie started with with him in London looking at a, a newspaper that said, visit Canada now! And he's like, I should, I shall visit Canada now. So he just jumps off the bridge into the river. Uh, and then the next thing we see is him, like, walking up out of the ocean onto the Atlantic coast, looking at the sign that says, you know, Pacific Ocean, 3,900 kilometers or whatever. Um, or is it miles? I don't know. Uh, yeah. And then he gets on the handcart and off he goes. So then, yeah, he gets to the... Uh, he gets to the Pacific, he gets off the hand car, he turns it around, he goes and looks at the view, and then we see this this East Asian man dressed in the same outfit he was dressed in when he lived in England, <laughs> come up out of the water and look at the sign, says Atlantic Ocean, 3,970 whatevers, and he gets on the hand car and off he goes, and then when Buster Keaton realizes that 
his ride has been jacked, which to be fair, he jacked his ride to begin with. It was not his. Yes. He stole it from some worker. He just starts glumly walking back along the railroad tracks. <laughs> yes. It's very cute. I don't know if it, it did a really, very, very I don't know if it really did a good job making me want to go visit Canada because most of what it showed was like railroad tracks and stations and uh occasionally a shot of like a buffalo yeah there was like some cool like uh there were some cool like vistas but it didn't really make me want to go it it was it was funny when he like sees a bunch of geese and his very first thought is i must shoot them so he like pulls a gun out of the box (laughs) and uh stops the car so he can cover his car in like uh branches and leaves to make a like hunting blind (laughs) and you see him like peeking up over the top with his rifle (laughs) It's very cute. It's so great. I love Buster yes, Keaton. Yes, Buster Keaton is so definitely much. entertaining, and uh, I can definitely see why you're so thirsty for him. He's very cute. He is very cute. Um, I also, uh, a couple years ago, dressed up as him for Halloween. Aww. And made made uh, made the hat. So I, I actually found a tutorial online of like he act- how he actually made his hat. Yes, because he, 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 he made those. Oh, he has like this very like sort of signature... So like flattened pork pie pork hat. Pie yeah. Hat. Yeah. Um, so I bought like a very cheap like felt fedora from H&M and like followed the tutorial of like how to actually make oh, it. Oh, cool. <laughs> nice. Cool. Uh, when I was looking up information on him, I also found a, a shot I guess, from some magazine or other, other of Scarlett Johansson dressed as Buster Keaton, like made up to look like him. <laughs> it's great. I'll see if I can find it. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And I, I probably wouldn't have watched those... Uh, yeah, on my own. So thank you for the recommendation. <laughs> Yay, I love him. <laughs> so what are we going to do next week? Um, so I figured I'd like to have something like really nice and relaxed and easy for Memorial Day weekend. Okay. Um, so I'm going to have you watch an anime that's all about camping. Okay. <laughs> I think I've mentioned this to you before, before your d- d- uh, Japan trip. Yes. Um, this uh, very recent anime that I got into called uh, Yuru Camp. Okay. Or laid or laid back camp. You can't um, laid back camp. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> um, it came out in uh, the winter twenty eighteen anime season, so like January March this year. Okay, um, it is about a group of high school girls who take up camping as a hobby. Hmm. Okay, and they have like a little outdoors club in their high school, and it's basically just about them figuring out how to camp. Okay, <laughs> so it's kind of like a. You know, it's like they're sort of like, you know, them being cute, figuring out how to camp. And then it kind of also teaches the audience, like, you know, these are the basics of camping. And if you want to do this yourself, like, you know, this is sort of the equipment that you need. Okay. That sounds it's very, very cute. Good. It's, it's, it's very cute. It's like a very, like, as, as the title, you know, implies, like, very, very laid back. Like, there is like, there's like, there's like, there's like no tension in the plot, whatever. Like, it's usually like them traveling to the campsite, setting up the campsite, cooking a really good dinner and like hanging out and that's it like there's no conflict whatsoever it's just it's very it's a very pleasant little series okay that sounds nice and and, and relaxing very very nice okay yes so. uh so i'm gonna have you watch a movie um Ooh. that is over 20 years old now wow uh i'm gonna have you watch 1997's uh film contact oh yes which i, I talked about before <laughs> making you watch it's based yes. on a book by carl sagan uh, directed yes. by Robert Zemeckis, who directed mm-hmm. Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump, uh, and starring Jodie Foster as a, uh, a a very cool, very smart scientist named Ellie Arroway. And it's about her uh, 
receiving a signal from another star and Mm -hmm. sort of trying to decode it and understand it. And it's just really, really, it's just really, really good. And also, also Matthew McConaughey is in it, but mostly it's, it's, it's all about Jodie Foster. She's, she's just wonderful. And it's such a good, it's such a good movie. Um, Yes. uh, And it's, and it's, and it's a sci-fi movie written by Carlson. Yeah. So it's a sci-fi movie that's very much rooted in like what is actual, actually possible. Like if we did start receiving a signal, picking up a signal from another, uh, from another world, like how would we, first of all, how would we notice it? And then how would we try to understand it? And how would we respond to it? Um, so it's it's very cool, like science fiction that's very much rooted in science fact, and uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. It's a very good movie, and uh, I think you'll Yay. like it too. I'm excited. So, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. We uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you we would love it if you came and said hello to us on our social media, left us a review, or rated us on iTunes or Google Play. Um, where can people find us on social media, Nicole? Uh, so we're on Twitter at Getting Wrecked. That's G E T T I N G R E C D. We're also Getting Wrecked on Tumblr, um, and you can email us at Getting Wrecked Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we would love to have your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.